0: So one of the major themes of the letter we've been looking at, First Peter, is suffering. And this is actually, I think, by by quantity uh, compared to the size of the book with uh, other books in the Bible, it talks about suffering more than any other book in the Bible. By again, by kind of per capita, by by quantity. And suffering is something that we all do. I mean, we've all experienced suffering. That's that's not something that is unique i believe to to anybody i heard one poet said i, I entered this world crying and then everyday since has been the same and i think that's well that's i didn't think it was funny but some <laughs> you, you guys are mean <laughs> poor little guys uh, you're like that's hilarious <laughs> um, anyways that's that's funny that you thought that was funny um we all. Oh, this is great. Let's just make the whole thing a big joke. Um, we all. We all suffer, though, right? I mean, I guess it's good to start off on a lighthearted note. We. We all suffer. Different kinds of suffering. It's not even the same kinds of suffering. We have all sorts of kinds of suffering, whether it's physical or emotional or mental. Some of us suffer more than than others. Some of us suffer uh, more intensity than others. But but we all experience suffering. Big kinds, small kinds. I mean. All different kinds of suffering. This is something that's a a universal human experience. And I was even thinking, just in the life of our church, and if you're new here, I mean, we've only existed as a church for a little over a year, just a year and a couple months. So we're a brand new church. And just in the, the last year, I mean, I can go through dozens of examples of suffering within the life of our church, whether that's layoffs or people experiencing death in the family, death of children, whether that's people that have relational loss or persecution or injustice. I mean, I I was just thinking of the the folks in the church and thinking, man, even just in the last year, and that's just what I hear. I mean, I know there's other suffering out there, even within our church, that I don't don't hear about. It doesn't come directly to me, but there's suffering. It's something that is a universal experience, something that we all deal with. And the bottom line is, with suffering, we will either waste it or we will use it. And that, that's a question that I want to ask. Do you know how to use suffering? Do you know how to make the most of it? Do you know how to maximize it? Because there's a difference between just surviving suffering and there's a difference between even experiencing comfort in the middle of suffering, or getting through suffering, or having peace in suffering, and all those things are good, but do you know how to make the most of suffering? Because it's going to happen. I mean, maybe, you're, maybe this is you right now. Maybe you're in the middle of this right now, or maybe you just came out of something, or maybe you're just about to go into something that you don't yet know. Do you know how to make the most of suffering? Do you know how to maximize it that's That's the question that we're going to look at tonight as peter as Peter talks about this, and Peter shows us a kind of a specific situation of suffering as a Christian being persecuted, but we'll look at how this applies to to all of our life in suffering. so let's read what Peter says here, and then we will talk about how do we make the most of suffering. Here's what Peter says: "Beloved. doing good. And so here's what we see about suffering. Three things, three questions I want us to ask. How do we understand suffering? How do we use suffering? And how do we thrive in the middle of suffering? So first question, how do we understand suffering? Because here's the reality. Many of us don't understand suffering. Whether that means we don't know how to deal with it or we don't know what the purpose of it is. Or oftentimes, even in the middle of suffering, we ask the question, why is this happening to me? Something like that. We, we don't understand suffering. Peter begins his section by saying, don't be surprised when suffering comes to you. Which is interest, interesting because even sociologically, this is true, that surprise is often one of the first things we experience when we suffer. If, if you've heard of kind of the stages of grief, the, the thing I always think about is there was an old Simpsons episode where uh, Homer finds out something and he walks through all the stages of grief automatically in, in one little like 30-second clip. But um, the first stage of grief is denial because it's kind of this, I, this can't be happening. This, this, this can't be happening. And Peter says often we don't understand suffering because we're surprised. Suffering comes, and we're shocked. We think it's something strange. We're kind of baffled that this would be happening to us. I think we're we're surprised for a few reasons when suffering happens. I think one of them is because we spend our whole lives trying to maximize our happiness, right? I mean, we build our whole lives, and I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but we build our whole lives trying to get the most pleasure possible, whether that's are, I mean, we, we want to get insurance so nothing bad will happen to us. We medicate so we don't feel anything bad. Even just on the small end, of incon- we don't even want inconveniences. That's why there's microwaves. That's why you don't even have to walk. If you go to the airport, you can just stand on something that moves you. I was at the grocery store recently, and they have uh, crustables, which are these little peanut butter and jelly sandwich things that are pre pre-crust removed. So if you don't have the time to remove the crust, then you can buy it crust removed. Just all these things that we try as much as possible to manage any sort of inconvenience, any sort of, oh, that doesn't feel good. Some of you are writing, that's the only thing you're going to remember from this. I don't have to remove my crust. That's amazing. (laughs) That's all you're going to get out of tonight. And we laugh at (laughs) the suffering guy. Um, We build our whole lives often, though, trying to build a foundation where we experience happiness. That's everything that we're about and everything that we're after. I mean, that's America, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So if that's everything that we're kind of focusing our life on, then, of course, when suffering happens, it's a surprise because it's outside of everything that we've been trying to build. There's no place for it. There's no room for it in our lives. Secondly, I think we get surprised because it's not just that we're trying to build our life on this and something disrupts that foundation, but it's also because we actually believe we have the power to do that. We believe that it's within our power to control building this life that is one of utter happiness and pleasure with no problems. We believe we have that control. We believe we have that. And so then what happens is, it's not just that something comes in that's different from our foundation that we're building. It's also a shock to our humanity. When you come face to face with the fact that you're weaker than you thought you were, that you are mortal, I mean, it, it's not fun to realize all of a sudden, wait a minute, I can't get everything I want. I can't do everything I want, whether that's because of sickness or because of external circumstances that are pushing in on you. I mean, that's, we, we like to believe that we can manage our world and control our world and make everything go the way we want it to go. And if something disrupts that, it's a shock, it's a surprise, because we don't think we're human. We think we have the power to live our lives the way we want to live them without anything getting in the way of that. And third, I think it can often be a surprise. And this is especially true if you've grown up in the church. We think that God owes us. I mean, if you've grown up in the church or if you've been a Christian for a while and you believe, man, I'm a good person and I live a good life. And so God, God kind of owes me. I mean, I'm doing my part. He needs to do his part. And what we think about with that is usually this. Man, doesn't the Bible teach that God wants good for me, that God's going to work all things for my good, that he loves me. So what we translate that to mean, though, is God's going to give me what I want. God's going to give me whatever I want. And so if suffering happens, we're surprised. We're surprised because, man, God, I thought, I thought you were good. I thought you were for me. I thought, I, I've been living up to my end of the bargain. Why are you failing on your end of the bargain? So suffering is often a surprise. So how do we accurately understand suffering? Or to ask it another way, well, to ask it another way is to say, why shouldn't we be surprised when suffering comes? When suffering comes, how do we rightly understand it? Why, when suffering comes, should we not be surprised? Why, sh- why should we, as Peter says, do not be surprised as if something strange were happening to you? What- why should we not be surprised? I think there's a few reasons for that. One of them is this. The world's a broken place. I mean, as a Christian, if you're a Christian we should know more than anyone else that the world is a broken place. I mean, Peter addresses this letter that we're reading to, if you remember, if you were here, to elect exiles, which means people that God has chosen, that God's brought into his family, but that you live in a world that's not your home, that you don't belong in, where things are broken. So as a Christian, if you are a Christian, then you should, of all people, expect that the world's going to be a broken place. I mean, look, as a Christian, and this is kind of a crazy belief, but it's what we believe. And if you're not a Christian, then, I mean, I understand how you can think this is crazy. But what the Bible teaches is the world is so broken that it killed God. That the world is so broken. I mean, we believe that the world is, we we believe that that everybody walking around deserves the death penalty. I mean, I mean, if we believe we live in a world where everyone deserves the death penalty because of our sins against God, then we should expect the world's going to be a broken place, including ourselves, that the world is a broken place. So we shouldn't be surprised by suffering if we believe the world is broken. Secondly, we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. Peter says that Jesus himself suffered, that Christ suffered, that Christ suffered. And this is all throughout this letter. I mean, think about this. Whoever, anytime someone tries to gain a following, they say, hey, you can be like me. So rich, there's rich people out there, right? That do seminars and things like that. And they write books and they do kind of different things where they say, hey, I've accumulated all this money and you can too. And sometimes the ads will pop up on your you know, newsfeed or you'll see them. These people that host seminars, I've made all this money. Maybe it's with stocks or maybe it's, um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of that book, rich dad, poor dad, that, that guy does a lot of seminars. And I mean, the people that say I've made this money, you can make it too. follow me and you can be like me. Cause this is what I've done or athletes, same type of thing. If you're, if you ever wanted to be an athlete and obviously you didn't uh, achieve it probably because <laughs> we would know, but sorry about that. Um, if you ever wanted to be a professional athlete, you probably had some sort of hero that you looked up to, right? I want to be like him. And sometimes even professional athletes will come to schools and stuff and say, you can do it. You can, you can be like me. You can be, be like Mike. You know, that was a big thing a while back, a long while back. Um, and that, that was kind of the big thing, right? That you, hey, you can be like me. Jesus says the same thing. But he says it hanging from the cross. Hey, you can be like me. That's what he told his disciples. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. So see, we shouldn't be surprised by suffering because the one that we say we follow, the one that we worship as God says, hey, you can be like me. I suffered. You can suffer. And that that is the calling to become a Christian in many ways. Jesus says, die to yourself and follow me. Let your life end like my life ended so you can experience true life just like I did in the resurrection. So we shouldn't be surprised by suffering because the very one that we follow, the very God that we worship says, I suffered, Peter says. We share in Christ's sufferings. And third, we should not be surprised by suffering. An accurate understanding of suffering. And this is interesting, and here's the reason. Because God loves us. So we shouldn't be surprised that we suffer because of the fact, not in spite of the fact, because of the fact that God loves us. Now here's, here's the thing. Most people, if you're not an atheist, okay, there's there's some people that do not believe in God at all, and then there's some kind of people that, believe. so that's one category that's pretty small in our country, maybe five percent or so, eight percent, something like that. Then there's a category of people that don't, necessarily believe in a personal God, like an actual being, but they believe in some sort of spiritual energy, okay? That's another small category. Most people in this country, and in the world, believe in a God. Particularly in this country, most people believe, if you ask them, what kind of God do you believe in, what do people say? A loving God, right? I've never heard anybody that said, I just kind of believe in a hateful God. Nobody has ever said that, ironically, which kind of shows us we invent what we want to be true. But, nobody ever says, or sorry, everybody says, I believe in a loving God, right? It's a very just basic belief that people have, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. And if if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you believe in God, you probably would say, I believe in a loving God. So do I. But here's what's interesting. What do we think of when we think of a loving God? When you think of a loving God, what, what comes to your mind? Probably one that wants you to feel good, wants you to have the desires of your heart, wants everything to go well for you in your life, wants you to to feel good and to have good and to have comfort and pleasure and happiness and, and all the things that you want, to have a good job and a good career and a good wife and a good husband and a good dog and good children. That's probably what we think, this is what the loving God is going to give me, kind of like my butler. I mean, not my I don't have a butler kind of, kind of crap I just outed myself I have a butler all right um we think that that's what a loving god is but when you think of love what what is the people that have loved you the most the ones that truly love you what do they want for you they want your highest good right They they don't just want you to have candy and donuts and these these things I like. They don't want you just to have these things. They want you to have the highest good. Somebody, real love, the love that's the truest, the love that's the purest, wants you to have that which is best for you, right? And that which often that we long for, which is best for us, and you can probably even look back at people in your life, that they were committed to this, and so you have fond memories of them, and they've probably made big influence in your life. The highest good that they were committed to was what? It was your your character. It was your transformation, your your growth as a person. Okay, so if God is a loving God, that means he's committed to our highest good, which means he's committed to our character being transformed and changed, being who we really are called to be, and how does that happen? I mean, just think about your life. How, the times that you have grown the most, what did it come from? It came from suffering, right? I mean, the times that you have learned the most and grew the most, I mean, truthfully, it wasn't, and, and I'll just, I mean, I'm standing up here as a pastor, I mean, it wasn't probably from the Bible, It wasn't probably from classes. It wasn't probably from sitting somewhere on a Sunday morning or evening. It was probably through all of those things are helpful and they might have been a part, but it was through suffering and those pieces helping that, fostering and and moving you forward in the middle of that. But the times that we've grown the most, I mean, I think we would all admit are probably the times that we've suffered, right? So I say we shouldn't be surprised by suffering because the world is broken, because Jesus himself suffered, and because God loves us. God loves us. And suffering is a powerful tool. Suffering is a powerful tool to love us. It has a purpose. And this is what Peter's talking about. And this is what Peter talks about, really, in this whole letter. So if suffering has a purpose, and and, and let me just mention... Part of, part of this also, Peter says, towards the end of the section we read, he said, "If judge, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And what he's saying here is this, that if God is going, he says, God loves us so much, he's willing to bring a purifying judgment into our lives. It's not a judgment that says, hey, you're going to hell. It's a judgment that says, God loves us so much that those that already belong to him, he's going to bring a purifying suffering into their lives. If he does that to the people he loves, what will happen to those that disobey the gospel, that do not serve and follow and have submitted their lives to Jesus? If, if the ones he loves, he says, I'm going to bring suffering into your life, what will he do to those that don't know him? So, suffering has a purpose. It's a very powerful tool used in our life because God loves us. So this is how we understand suffering. How do we use it then? Because it's a tool. It has a purpose. But how do we actually use it? Because here's here's the truth. Suffering does not automatically, does not automatically make us better people. I mean, you have probably heard the phrase, what doesn't kill you, makes you stronger, right? And I think that's true in many instances, but it's also not true in many instances, because we've all known people that have suffered and come through it more bitter, more hard-hearted, more complaining about their lives. Maybe, maybe they lost their faith in God. Suffering does not automatically make you this person that is purified and holy and who you're called to be. It doesn't automatically do that. It has to be used in the right way. We can waste it or we can use it. That's what Peter is showing to us. That's why he says, don't be surprised by this. Suffering will either make us a better person or a worse person. So how do we use it? How do we use suffering? And let me read earlier, We, we covered this, I think the first week or second week, Here's what Peter says to, tonight that we looked at. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. And so he talks about suffering in this way that it's a fire that comes into our lives. And the language is very similar to what he said earlier in the very beginning of his letter. Let me read from this if you want to follow along. It's chapter 1, verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith. So suffering comes in to test the genuineness of our faith. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the idea. What suffering is in our life is a fire. Fire. It's a fire. It comes into our life, and we feel the heat of it. We feel the pressure of it. We feel, we feel like we're walking through fire when we're suffering, right? And that's how we use it. That's what suffering is designed for. It's designed to be a fire. And what Peter tells us in the opening part of his letter is, it's a fi- what does fire do? It reveals It tests and reveals what's really there. So if you think about this, if you've ever uh, built a fire and you've thrown a piece of notebook paper into the fire, what happens? It burns up, black smoke, pretty much gone. But what happens if you throw in a laminated piece of magazine paper or even a thicker kind of laminated paper? You throw that in, takes a little while longer to burn and usually there's a green smoke that comes up because why because it's paper but there's something underneath there's papers underneath on the top is this plastic it's coated in other things it's not just pure paper see what fire does is it reveals what's really there when fire burns something, it shows, here's what's really inside. Here's what this is really made of. The analogy Peter gives is of gold. And here's a picture of a guy burning some gold. And here's, here's what he's talking about. See, fire reveals. It reveals what's there, and it reveals what needs to change. See, if you have like a hunk, a block of something, okay, and it's partially gold and it's partially some other sort of metals and some stone and some rock and you take that and you put it into heat and you put it into fire, it separates away all the stuff that is dross, all the stuff that's impurities, all the stuff that's metal, all the stuff that's other things and then the gold over here. I mean, that's why uh, sometimes you go, you see these signs and they say, we buy gold and those types of things. And often what will happen at those places is they will take your rings that you think are gold, but maybe they're only 10% gold. Or I was even looking as I was researching this online that you can take old cell phone parts and computer parts and you take them in. It's got all this other substance in there. Then you put it into the fire and it burns away all the other stuff and separates it out and it purifies it so that there's just pure gold. See, that's what suffering is, Peter says. That suffering is a fire. And it reveals what's really there. And it separates out what's not supposed to be there. That's what, that's what it is. That's what suffering is. And, and so if we're going to use suffering, that's how we have to use it. We have to use it to reveal what shouldn't be there and what's really there. To burn away all the things in our life that God doesn't want there. To reveal as a fire what's really there that you thought this ring was pure gold, but it's it's plastic and 10% gold. See, that's what suffering is. It's a fire. And I want you to just keep that image in your mind. And if you're going through suffering now, this is what is happening. This is what suffering is for. And this is how we use it. We use it to reveal what should be gone and what's really there. And so let me give us a few ways. And this one I'll just mention really quickly. One of the things that suffering can reveal is the practical changes that need to be made in our life. Just the practical changes. Sometimes what happens is, and I'll just give you a couple examples. Sometimes, um, let's say you, you get laid off of your job, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I, we don't have a budget. I don't know where the money is going. I don't know what's Because before, before when everything was just going fine, you didn't necessarily feel like you needed to make a budget. Money was coming in. Everything is good. But then you get laid off. There's some suffering which reveals, I need to make some practical changes. I didn't realize that my, I wasn't stewarding my money well. I didn't realize that I didn't have a budget. I didn't realize. Or maybe some suffering comes into your life and you're married and all of a sudden marriage starts going bad. There's, fighting and discomfort and conflict and you feel like, Man, what what just happened? Everything was fine before, but then when the suffering happened, it feels like all this stuff started happening and it can reveal, oh man, we haven't really been spending time working on our marriage. It felt like everything was fine, but when it actually when the suffering came it revealed, man, we need to make some practical changes. Maybe we need to get a babysitter, or maybe we need to start having a date night, or maybe we need to I mean, just do some things for our marriage and talk to one another. It's just, it, suffering doesn't necessarily create a need. It just highlights it. It shows, hey, look, here's some things that, that need to change. So first, it can reveal just practical life changes that need to be made. Secondly, suffering reveals, and this is what Peter says here. He says it reveals where we need to look in our life and see, am I following Jesus? Am I obeying Jesus? He says, don't, he says look, suffering's going to happen, but don't suffer for doing bad. And this is, he says this a couple different times in the letter when he talks about suffering. He says, suffering's going to come into your life, and that's just going to be expected, but, but don't over-spiritualize things. You might be suffering because of your own sin, because of your own consequences that you've brought into your life. Don't suffer for doing bad, he says. Don't suffer as a, as a murderer. Man, I'm suffering. Everyone's out to get me. Yeah, they're called police because you murdered somebody. Everyone's against me. I feel trapped. You're in handcuffs. I mean, that's, there's a type of suffering, right? That's, you've brought it on yourself. And Peter says, don't, don't suffer for doing bad as a murderer or a thief or a meddler, which that seems kind of weird to put that in, in that category. Murderer, thief, getting your face all up in people's business. I mean, it's okay, but again, you might go, "Man, I don't, I don't understand. Nobody likes me. No one likes to talk to me. I'm just suffering because you've been a meddler." So, part of what suffering does is reveal. Maybe we need to ask, and this isn't always the case. Peter points it out, but it doesn't mean it's always true. But we got to ask: Am I suffering because? Because this is just the natural results of my life of disobedience. My suffering because of that? Because oftentimes what happens is we want to put everything outside, right? We suffer and we say, well, you know, it's the devil. Or, uh, you know, it's it's other people. I'm a victim. Or it's the circumstance. Or even even God. Ah, man, I just think God's trying to teach me something. No, I, I think you're just. Messing up your life. I don't think God's doing this to you. I don't think the devil's doing it to you. I don't think other people are doing it to you. It's your own choices that have brought about the suffering. And it won't ever change if you keep pushing it out and saying it's over here, it's these people, it's these things, it's that. Peter says, hey, first check and go, are you suffering because you're doing bad? Are you suffering because you're an evildoer, which is just the broad category of all things that are disobedience to God? Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why you're suffering. And what I'll tell you is this. We have a God that forgives. So if there's suffering in your life right now because of sin you're doing right now, or if there's suffering in your life right now because of sin you did years ago, here's the truth. That's really good news. God forgives. And God doesn't say to us, "You you made your bed, now lie in it. He's a God that can redeem the worst that we've done and then flip it and turn it to use it for our good. So that's the good news. It doesn't mean, oh man, crap, I am suffering because of what I've done, so now it's just, I guess I just got to grin and bear it. No. God forgives and God redeems. And that's the good news. But at the same time, you should look at your life and go, am I bringing this about? third thing that it reveals to us. It reveals practical changes we need to make. It reveals areas that maybe we are living in disobedience, and it reveals our hearts. It reveals our hearts. See, whether the suffering is something that we brought about or something that has just happened, suffering will always reveal our heart. Suffering will always reveal our hearts. This is what suffering does because it's a fire. It shows what's really there. It separates out the impurities. This is why it's a great gift. I mean, do you know what's in your heart? Often we don't. We don't really know who we are until we go through suffering. You might think that you are a patient person. You might think you're a joyful person. You might think you're an honest person, a trusting person. You might think you're a kind person. You might think you're someone that really trusts in God but you don't really know who you are until you go through the fire. You don't really know what's inside until that green smoke starts coming up. You don't really know what's there. Until you go through suffering, you don't really know who you are. Suffering reveals to us our heart. That's, what, that's why it's an amazing, an amazing gift. Part of the reason that suffering does this is because it often takes away the things that we love takes away the things that we've been building our worth in, our identity and you lose your job and that's where you've been putting all your value as I'm a person that gets ahead in my career, I'm a successful person or money is that's what you've been looking to to build your life. If I have money, everything will go well for me. You, you build your life on things. We, we all do. And if that's where our joy is, if that's where our identity is built on, suffering oftentimes starts to take those away and challenge those things. See, we see what's in our heart when suffering comes, because if life is going great, if it's all going good, then we go, man, this is, this is awesome. What if right now it started to get taken away from you? Would you go, whoa, God, come on now. What if it started to get removed or challenged or threatened? Would you say, oh man, God's not good. See, suffering often does that. It shows what our love is really going towards, what we're really building the foundation of our life on. It reveals to us our heart. And this is why it's a great opportunity. Look, I'm not saying suffering is good. Okay, I've gone through suffering in my life, and I know many of you had too, that is, is not, I mean, we don't say suffering is good, but it can be used. That's why it is such a great opportunity we can still say that's bad, and it's from the world being broken. We can still say that while simultaneously saying, and yet it can be used. It can be used to show me what's going on in my heart, and yet so many of us, so often of the time, waste it. We waste it, and we waste it because of just I mean we we, we go through life and we blame, so you experience suffering. And what can happen? Instead of saying, this is a tool that God's given me that I can use. This is a tool that I can actually use to show me what needs to change, to show me how, how I need to be purified, to show it's a tool. Instead, we, we just kind of blame everything. Well, you know, this is happening because of the circumstances in my life around me. This is happening because of her. This is happening because of him. I mean, think about oftentimes this happens when changes happen in our life. We move somewhere new. We lose someone that we loved. We were in a relationship that ended. Economic situation has changed. New obstacles in our life. Th- these new kind of things, new changes happen. And then we say something like this, man, it brings out the worst in me. And so we blame what does that mean? I mean, to say it brings out the worst in me is actually 100% true. But what that means is the worst is in you. So yes, suffering is bringing out the worst in you, but don't you see how that's a gift? That it's showing you the worst is in me. That's what suffering does. It puts this pressure on us, but we can just blame and go, well, you know, it's just... Because of them, because of this, because it's that person. They bring out the worst in me. It's this job. It brings out the worst in me. And just blame, blame, blame. But what suffering does is shows that's who you are. Don't blame it on other things. The fiery trial comes and shows that's the kind of person you are. You're the kind of person that looks at porn when you're stressed. You're the kind of person that responds in fear and anxiety when life's not going well. You're the kind of person that yells at your wife when your marriage isn't going well. You're the kind of person. That's what suffering. And I know that's, oh, don't say that. It's not me. It's the circumstances. It's, it's, just, it's just that stuff that did it to me. Suffering puts the heat on and says, here's who you are. That's what it does. It's fire intended to show you. No, it's not. It's just life is hard and it's just these things and it's, oh man, it's just everything is not going well and it's just, yeah. That's who you are. Suffering, here's, here's the truth. Suffering does not create, it reveals. Suffering does not create different characteristics in you. It reveals them. And often it strengthens them. If you're an impatient person, you go through suffering, you're more impatient. If you're a person that's irritable, you go through suffering, you're more irritable. If you're a person that's self righteous, you go through suffering, you're more self righteous. Suffering does not create, it reveals, it shows. You're a bitter person, more bitter. Unforgiving, more unforgiving. Suffering does not create, it reveals. Which is why it's a great gift. I mean, it's scary. I know. I mean, I can tell right now the temperature in the room. But it's a great gift. Isn't that a great gift? I mean, we get gold out of it. We get gold. And so sometimes it reveals our heart, but we waste the opportunity because we blame, or we waste the opportunity because we're just trying to survive. So you go through suffering, and then your mindset is, instead of using it, it's just, I'm going to get through it. So maybe you're not the person that's blaming everything else. Maybe you even accept responsibility. But still, the mindset is, I'm just going to get through it. Maybe by ignoring it, maybe by, let's say it's a suffering that is very sorrowful, and you don't grieve. You just kind of push it away. I'm just going to get through it. Maybe it's by adding positive things. So you experience some sort of suffering. Let's say you break up with someone that you love and then go, okay, well, okay, uh, some suffering, sure, but I'll just get a new girl. I'll just get a new guy. Uh, I lost my job. Okay, I'll get some ice cream. I mean, it's just, there's just, you're not actually sitting and pausing in the moment and saying, okay, I'm, I'm suffering right now. How can I use this? Instead, it's either blame or I'm just gonna get through it. When, as soon as this goes away, I'll be good. As soon as this is gone, I'll be good. I'm just gonna get it through it. All of this looks at suffering as something to avoid. And I'm not saying we should willingly walk into suffering, but I'm saying when it happens, if I could compel us as a church to anything, it would be, because here, I mean, again, we will suffer. That's just reality. Will we use it or waste it? That's the question. Will we use, I mean, I tell people all the time, I think one of the worst things that would happen is if you're suffering, that you walk out of that suffering and you get everything you wanted. Everything goes well, everything changes, and you didn't use it. See, when we're in the middle of suffering, oftentimes we just want to get out or we blame everything else. We just want to survive. But you have a small window because the suffering probably will pass and it can just be a wasted opportunity or it can be something you use as a gift. And again, I say that not without a sensitivity to the reality that suffering hurts. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying it can be used for good. But often we go, well, suffering is bad, and so I'm not even going to think about it, or I just want it gone. But no, okay, it's bad, but it can be used for good. Will you let it reveal to you the changes in your life that need to be made, the areas that maybe there's disobedience, and what's in your heart. See, whether you cause suffering or not doesn't matter. It can still be used to show us, man, that's what's in my heart. That's who I am. That's where I need to grow. That's where the impurity is. That's where the plastic is. That's where the the green flame is. I hope, if you're in the middle of suffering, that you don't get through it. Until you use it. And as a pastor, that's what I always pray for people when they're suffering. Maybe that sounds cruel. Maybe you think a loving person would just say, oh, I hope they get out of it. But no, I pray that it would be used for good and it wouldn't be wasted. Don't go back to normal without having used the fiery trial, without having seen how God wants to turn it to gold. So last thing, how do, we, how do we thrive in the middle of suffering? How do we thrive in the middle of suffering? We understand suffering by seeing it's a tool that can be used. We use it by letting it reveal to us various pieces. How do we actually thrive in the middle of suffering? And, and here's what Peter turns our attention to towards the end of this section. Oftentimes, in suffering. We're self-focused. We're just kind of looking at ourselves. All of our attention is on ourselves. All it can be, we even sometimes isolate, pull back from other people. Nobody understands. Nobody gets me. No one knows what I'm going through. I just want to be alone. I just want to be by myself. And there's this kind of self-consumedness, often, often accompanied with self-pity. And it's just this, it's just me against the world kind of mentality. And Peter says, do not have your focus on yourself, but rather, and I think this is really interesting, at the very end in verse 19, he says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's kind of, it seems kind of like a weird thing to throw in there in in a section about suffering, to say, hey, do good. But I think, as I read this and studied this, that part of that is to say, and don't let it define you. It's it's really easy when you're you're suffering to just, it's all about me now. I'm the victim and my pain and my sorrow. And I'm not saying don't grieve. Grieve. Not grieving, again, is a way we ignore suffering and just try to get through it. Grieve. Feel the weight of it. Feel the pain of it. But oftentimes we just try to, okay, it's just me. I'm just the sufferer. And life can just be self-consumed. It's all about us. It's just all about us. And Peter says, while you're suffering, do good. Which I think is to say, don't let it define, don't let that be your identity. Don't let this define you. Don't just have your focus and your eyes on yourself, but, but but let's do good still. Let's love others. Let's serve others. People that do that, find that the suffering actually begins to not feel as painful. When you get outside of yourself and you still live your life loving and serving others, you begin to feel, it's not just all about me. And in part of the byproduct of that is you bring other people into your life, and there's community. And again, Peter writing to these people as he intros this section, says, beloved, he wants them to know they're loved, he wants them to know they're in the household of God, He says, that they're part of the community. Don't just go through it by yourself. And then ultimately, it's not even just focusing on others, but it's focusing on God. See, in the middle of suffering, often we just run to anything. How can I get out of this? What's my plan? What's my strategy? Or we run to things that will comfort us. We run to other people, but often just completely ignore God. Often at the, the worst moments, the most painful moments in our life, we run to everything else except for God. And again, I think that that shows, it reveals, it reveals where we really put our trust. Peter says that God is present with us in the middle of suffering. If you're going through persecution, he says that the Holy Spirit rests on you even in a special way. The Bible teaches in suffering, God is always with us, but particularly, Peter says, if you're going through persecution, if, 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 if actually being a Christian is what's causing the suffering, that, that God rests with you in a special way. But always, God is present with us in the middle of our suffering. And ultimately, we ignore him again, like I said, because we trust in other things. What do you trust in? When you suffer, and even now, what do you trust in? What do you think will take care of you? What do you think will get you out of it? What what brings you the comfort in the middle of your suffering? What what do you give your what do you go towards when you're in suffering? Is it alcohol? Is it movies? Is it the snooze button? Is it friends? What is it? What do you go towards in the middle of suffering? What do you That's that's what it means to trust something. That's what I rely on. That's what I count on. That's what takes care of me. And Peter says in his summary statement, his closing statement let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls, the very core of who we are. Entrust our souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. In that that wording of who God is, is not accidental. The fact that God is a creator means that he is powerful. That he brings life where there's nothing. That he creates. See, when see, we, when we're in our suffering, we can feel. Let me back up. Peter does not just say, trust God. And the Bible never says that. It never just tells us, hey, trust God. Just trust God. It always says, because here's who God is. Trust him because here's who he is. And he says, he's the creator. He's the creator. I mean, if we think about, man, he made this world. He made this world. Do you think he's in control? In the book of the Bible, Job, which is a man who went through more suffering than any of us probably ever will, lost everything, his wife, his children, all of it. We can't get into the whole story, but there's a section where he's talking with God and God says to him, not in a mean way, But to reorient him, he says, where were you when I made all the world, the heavens and the earth? Where could you remind me where you were? And it's a humbling thing to say, man, we might not understand. We might not get it, but do we know that God is the creator? That he has control, that he has power. That we're not just left to chance and fate, but he has power over this world. And if he has power over the world and he has the wisdom to create the world, then maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe maybe if we don't understand, that's okay. But we can have a humility that says, he's the creator so I can trust myself to him. And then he says, he's not just this all-powerful being in the sky. He's not just this thundering voice that creates. He's the faithful creator. And what he's drawing our attention there again is to Jesus. That he's the one that is for our good. He's the one that is for our good. And that's why he mentions saying, We share in Christ's sufferings. Let me just tell you this no other religion has a God that suffered for us. No other religion even claims that. That would be beneath God. God wouldn't suffer, God wouldn't do such things. But what we see here is that God himself says, I will come into your world and feel your pain. I will come into your world and go to the most extreme form of suffering there is, both physically on a cross, spiritually in a separation from God in that moment, where on the cross, Jesus says that the Father has forsaken him in that moment because he takes our sin on himself. And he does that for those of us, all of us, that are not deserving. I mean, that's the crazy thing, right? If you love someone, you'll probably suffer for them. I would suffer for my wife because I love her and because she's cool. But God suffered for us, the Bible says, when we're sinners, when we're against him, when our heart's posture is, God, I don't really need you. I can kind of figure things out on my own. You know, yeah, I believe in a loving God that I don't really know because I don't know Jesus. And God says, I'm going to suffer for you. That's the one I'm suffering for. That's amazing. Again, no other religion even claims this. And there's a lot of good wisdom out there in other religions, good things that they can say and teach. But they, none of them claim there is a God that came into this world and took on flesh and suffered for you. And that means we can trust him. That's, I mean, that's why Peter can say what he's saying. I mean, if you're in the middle of suffering right now, why, I mean, why won't you go to God? This God. I get why you wouldn't go to just some big man in the sky with a beard that just wants, I mean, here's the conundrum. If you just believe in a loving God, God, you're not going to go to that God in the middle of suffering because obviously he's not being loving to you. But if you believe in a God that is loving in the sense that he wants your highest good and he's the kind of God that actually suffered himself for you, and do you believe in that God? You'll entrust yourself to that God. You'll go to that God. And that's what Peter wants us to see. That's why he closes with that. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. See, suffering is not something just to get through. It's not something just to use to improve ourselves. It's something that can be used to show us who God is. It's something that God wants to use to let you see more of who He is and to enjoy Him and to know Him as faithful Creator. I hope you can believe in that kind of God. I hope you see that that's Jesus. And when we take communion,